0: today marks the first Sunday of Stewardship Month here at St. Augustine's. At uh, the later service, we'll be hearing each week from one of our vestry members about why they give generously of their time and money to serve the body of Christ in this place. Uh, Here at the 8 o'clock service, I think if you want to ask John, you can do it. (laughs) But I'm not going to make him stand up. Each Sunday, we're going to be preaching on a different aspect of what it means to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. Next week, we're going to preach about money. Jesus has a lot to say about it. The week after that, we're going to preach about serving God and our neighbor with our spiritual gifts. The Bible has a lot to say about that, too. And then we're going to tie it all up on Christ the King Sunday, making our solemn pledges to God to give generously to the work of the kingdom in in this place showing that no idol, not even our time or our money, will stand in the way of Christ's lordship of our lives. Now I don't know if the people who put together the lectionary had this in mind. I don't think they did, but you never know. But the gospel for this Sunday couldn't be a better way of kicking off this season by showing us what stewardship is really all about. At bottom, you see, stewardship it's just about love. It has to be. Because that's what Jesus says this morning is what everything is about. So that has to be about love too. One of the scribes, our story starts, was listening in while the Sadducees, our section doesn't say that, but it was the Sadducees, they were arguing. They were having some kind of interminable debate about legal minutia, I suppose. And the scribe asks Jesus to cut through all the jargon and get to the heart of the matter. He asks Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answers, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Let's look at what Jesus was doing here. According to the rabbinic tradition, the Jewish tradition that had been thinking about the biblical law, the Torah, for centuries already by that point, there were exactly does anybody know how many commandments there are there are? Any guesses? <laughs> well, that's one. That's not a wrong answer. But they counted all of them. Um, and they came up with 613. There are exactly 613 commandments that God gave to his people, Israel. And then, of course, there are the top ten. You have to see, the scribe was really asking, of all of those, how do I make sense of them all? Right? How do I make sense of all this? How do they fit together? Are they more than just a random jumble of stuff that God has told us to do? They can't just be, the scribe was assuming, a random list of rules that we have to follow. Divine commandments like pick up your socks or always drive your camel on the left side of the road because that's what God wants you to do and if you don't, obey him, him your toast. Now, the scribe was assuming that there was actually a point to all of these commandments. They weren't just a jumble or a list. They come together to create something beautiful. They paint a picture of the good and meaningful life that God wants for us. And they point our lives in the direction that God wants us to walk in, for our own good. So that was what Jesus was answering. And you see, he could have given all kinds of answers. Biblical scholars, the the Jewish scholars of that time and place, did. They were all trying to make sense of how this all fit together. How do I fit the law into a coherent whole and, and find its deeper meaning? So Jesus could have said, well, the law is all about being pure and distinct from the nations all around us, so that everyone knows that we alone are God's chosen people. He could have said, that's the point of the law. He could have said, actually, I reject the question. There's no greatest commandment. The whole point is just obeying whatever it is that God told us to do. So the first commandment is the first one you see in Genesis chapter 1, and the last one is on the last page of the Bible, and you better keep them all or God will be angry. He could have said that. People have said those kinds of things before, and in a sense, sometimes we still say those things today to try to make sense of the Bible. But neither of those is what Jesus said. What is the law all about? The law is all about Love. Love God and love your neighbor. That's it. You can summarize it all in about five words. That is the heart of what God wants for your life. St. John, some of you will remember, went one step deeper than this when he said that at bottom, God is love. Love isn't just at the heart of what the commandments are about. Love is at the heart of what God is about. Love is who God is. It's God's heart. St. Augustine, our patron, rephrased Jesus' summary of the law with these words. Love God and do what you will. Not long ago, our presiding bishop attracted the attention of the whole world with his royal wedding sermon on the power of love to change the world. One of, uh, Linda, actually, uh, Auders told me that he was on the Today Show not too long ago, talking about it again. It's not just some odd little Episcopalian thing that we've invented in the past few years, or that Bishop Curry came up with. No. As we see, this is what the Christian faith has always been about, at its very core. St. Augustine, St. John, St. Paul, and Jesus himself say no less. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is our high and joyous calling, to shine the light of God's love for all to see, that in a divided world filled with anger and vengeance and suspicion and selfish gain and violence, we here may show people what St. Paul called a more excellent way, our faith in Christ, our hope in Christ, and greatest of all, the love of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The sermon's not done, though. Of course, when we say things like that, we run the risk of just saying a lot of nice and inspiring things, and in practice, they don't amount to much. We might, for instance, see Christ's summary of the law as a simplification instead of a summary. We might say, oh, I don't have to bother about the other 612 commandments. One will do just fine, thank you very much. <laughs> I don't really have to take that part about generous giving seriously. I can go and go ahead and buy that thing I've had my eye on instead, that new car or those new pair of shoes, as long as I drive my car and, and wear my new shoes Lovingly. I don't really have to spend time serving the church or worshiping every Sunday or serving the poor as long as I really love sleeping in. Well, you can see how easy that kind of rationalization trips off the tongue, right? Then love becomes whatever I feel like rather than the difficult path that love actually takes in this world, which is the path of Christ on the cross. And of course, it's the opposite of what Jesus meant. He wasn't trying to cut down the 613 commandments to one and make it easy. No, he was saying that all of them together are all about the love of God and the love of neighbor. They're what it means to love. They're how we love, not just with part of ourselves or as long as we feel like it, but with our whole lives, all of us. Every day. That's what St. Augustine meant with his famous line, love God and do what you will. He wasn't an ancient world John Lennon. He was saying, if you really love God, then all of the rest will fall into place. The commandments won't be burdens anymore. They'll be joy. If you really love God... Then we'll serve and give generously to the work of the kingdom and to the poor. And we'll see that service and sacrificial giving is a much greater joy than the stuff that advertising sells us and that the slippery pole of status-seeking and social climbing promises. We'll say to ourselves, well, I could have had that newer car with the backup camera that has its own backup camera. But there's one person I know who knows the Lord for the first time in the pew ahead of me. That's better. I could have had the cable package with every sports event known to man streamed into my living room, including synchronized swimming. But there's a person who found a church where they heard God's love preached and saw it practiced and it changed their life. That's better. There's someone who can afford the child care they need to go to work and make ends meet. There's someone who I not only helped serve a hot meal one evening, but actually got to know and might become a real friend. That's better than money. It's so much better than the time I probably would have spent binge-watching some TV show that I don't even like very much. If we really love God, that's what our life will look like. The love of God in our hearts will overflow with loving and serving our neighbors, with generous giving. And it will be such a joy that we won't be able to stay away from gathering with God's people on Sunday mornings to give thanks and praise for all the blessings He's given us. Stewardship, you see, isn't just a season for the church to raise money and get volunteers. Not at all. It's really about learning to see our whole lives as a gift from God and then offering it back to God as a gift. It's not about how many zeros are in your bank account. It's not about how talented you think you are or how well you can sing. It's about taking whatever gifts God has blessed you with and offering them back with a cheerful heart and a generous spirit not just about what we give to God here in church. It's also about what we give God in our whole lives, at home, at work, everywhere else. What if you can love God by listening to your spouse tell you about her long, hard day when you'd rather go to sleep? That's just a theoretical point, by the way, not a, not a specific point. <laughs> What if you don't have a lot of extra time in your life, but you can be one of the financial givers that makes the church's work possible? What if you're on a very fixed income, but you have the time to serve the body and pray for the church and its needs every day? It doesn't matter what you have. What matters is that you give generously what you do have. This month, I encourage us all to spend time in prayer and discernment about how we can love God and love our neighbors with whatever it is we've been given. It's a funny thing. It's only when we give away what we have that we find out that it was never ours to begin with. It's only when we give that we discover that it really is more blessed, more joyous to give than it is to receive It's when we fall in love that we discover the joy of giving ourselves away. It's when we love our kids so much that it hurts that we find out that seeing them smile and laugh and grow is one of the deepest joys there is. It's when we give ourselves away in love that we discover that our lives were always a gift given to us so that we could give it away. So that we too can know something of the joyous, extravagant generosity of the God of love who gave us nothing less than everything. Amen.